Hello, it's Jess here. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick note that we actually recorded this episode on May 30th with plans of putting it out on something like, I think, June 2nd. But we decided to mute our show for that week to focus on Black Lives Matter and amplifying melanated voices. Uh, We also looked into things that we could do to do better and be better. So we're putting this episode out now as this week we've been working on some bonus material that we are pretty excited to share with y'all pretty soon. But now it's time to grab your favorite refreshment and uh, get strange with us. sitting next to me so i wouldn't forget my mom sent you something Ooh! i bet this crinkling bag sounds really good oh yeah Ooh, asmr Ooh. i just broke it wait oh no let me fix it it's easy to fix so my mom <laughs> wanted you to have this oh my god and he apparently talks or something i don't know how you make it talk oh there's a button it might be broken. I don't know. But she wanted you to have this Tim Gunn bobblehead. That is precious. I'm reading his book right now. One of his books. Ooh, perfect timing then. Yeah. Uh, Tim Gunn's Fashion Bible. Uh, it's really... I love his books because he writes exactly like how he talks. Mm-hmm. And so just like... Can you hear him? Oh, yeah. And then there are some phrases like... Capri's in short, a plague upon our nation. Like, he does not like the cargo Capri, which I can't blame him. They're terrible. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, cargo, I get... Cargo anything, unless you're, like, using it for utility. Unless you're fishing. Right, like, unless you're using the pockets for the activity that you're doing, mm-hmm. don't wear cargo. I mean, I'm saying this, too, as somebody who totally wore a ton of cargo pants in high school. Oh, 100%. And also, Same. I wore... Not female cargo pants. I wore boy cargo pants because I thought they were cooler. They probably had bigger pockets. I think they did. And I think like the girl ones were all like more fitted. And that wasn't like the look I was going for as a sort of I don't know what I was in high school. Kind of. I think I started high school probably like in a grunge phase. It developed into like more of a like pseudo punk phase. Okay. (laughs) Throughout. So, yeah, so it's big on baggy pants, like not like Jinkos or anything like that. Nothing that aggressive, but definitely like give me some big old pockets on them pants. Uh, I feel like I've just been reverting back to emo, as you can tell by my freshly dyed hair (laughs) during quarantine. But I think in high school, I started off kind of preppy. And then like towards the end of high school, I was more like pop punk i guess i don't know it wasn't like really punk it was like scene cobra starship kind of like bright colors but being kind of sad that uh is actually so i mean obviously i've got a good many years on you so but mine was pop punk too oh good like but mine was like first wave pop punk i feel like what band because um, my my big band ataris okay hands down super into the ataris newfound glory um i'm trying to think who else i uh less than jake was a big one for me uh as i got into college i got like still into pop punk but like i got into rx bandits um i'm trying it's really hard to think until like you know it's right in front of my face and then i'm better at it definitely went through it this isn't pop punk but like went through a dashboard confessional phase you know like i remember dashboard confessional i wasn't super into them ever but mm -hmm. Well, I was. <laughs> I love that for you. My hair was everywhere. Like just jipping hair? No, I mean, well, yes, in general. I mean, you can see today it's not even that humid out. And it's <clears throat> my, ooh, lost my voice. It's not even that humid out and my hair is already starting to expand. But no, that's the, that was like their big, like first big song, I guess, was Your Hair is Everywhere. Oh, I thought you were just saying my hair is everywhere. I'm <laughs> no. like, wait. 
No, it's from the uh, very important song of Screaming Infidelities by Dashboard Confessional. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. God, it's so... Now I kind of... You know, do you ever get, like, nostalgic music? Look, you know it's not good music, but when you listen to it, like, it just makes your heart do something. Like, I have a whole playlist of that music mm-hmm. called Remember How Cool You Were in 8th Grade. Oh, my other pop punk favorite was Alkaline Trio. Okay. I really liked Alkaline Trio, like a lot. Actually, at the beginning of quarantine, my roommate sent me, I know I said my roommate, you know Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa sent me this, like, you know, the bracketing thing? Uh-huh. Brackets. Um, she sent me, like, a pop punk bracket. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, both she and I chose Alkaline Trio for the win, I believe, from what I remember. It was bad, though, because, like, one side of it was, like, really really hard for me to decide between the two bands on each bracket and the other side there were some that were hard for me to decide because i didn't care about either band fair and i was like this is not dispersed well this can is you wrong. send me this bracket because now i'm interested i love a bracket you know i'm yeah. a graphical representation of a data hoe i don't think i ever actually did anything with it like i filled it out and it's just like sitting on my phone for two months so i will definitely it'll be interesting to see where you come from too Cause I don't know like what era, you know what I mean? Like some of the bands are fr- like, some of them are definitely like after my time. Uh-huh. And that's why it was hard for me to choose. Cause I was like, I don't care, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's why I'm interested to see like how many I'll know and like what mm-hmm. I'll get. I want to side by side these brackets. I think that'd be funny. Yes. <laughs> I think I did one. I did the Lady Gaga one because break hearts, not stereotypes. Um, <laughs> I think I picked my favorite uh, Lady Gaga song as Alejandro, I believe. Oh, that's a fun one. Except for the only problem with that one, it gets in my head, but only like that one little snippet of Alejandro. Yeah, just don't on call repeat. my name. Don't call my name. Fernando. Yeah. But then it just starts over again. So like... I might be biased because it is Alejandro and I am Alejandro. Oh, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> It was funny because that song came out when I was in Spanish class and we all picked Spanish names. So I was, believe it or not. Alejandro. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know how I picked oh, that one. That's funny. I yeah. uh, I think it's so funny how you pick names in like your language class in high school. Like everybody has their language class name from high school. I was um, Colette in French Ooh. class. Mm-hmm. Who is she? She's Colette. I think I chose it because of Cosette from uh, Les Mis. And that was like, I don't think Cosette was like, because we get, you know, you get options or whatever, a sheet or something that your teacher gives you. Uh-huh. And I was like, I want to be Cosette, like Les Mis. <laughs> that wasn't on there. Oh. Eponine also was not on there, or I would have chosen Eponine. I've only seen Les Mis once, and it was the movie, and I did not enjoy it as much as I wanted to. Yeah. I've only seen it as a stage production, and actually I was pretty relatively young when i saw it i did really like it i've listened to the soundtrack a million times though like uh in eponine i when i was growing up you know you know how everybody wants to be in musicals when they're growing up oh yeah yeah so when i was growing up my my dream role or whatever would have been eponine which Mm -hmm. is yeah because i i like a good struggle i guess emotional struggle legit uh plus she had the song on my own and that's just a beautiful song I don't know it off the top of my head, but I will take your word <gasps> uh, for it. Jason Robbins used to do it at um, karaoke sometimes. Yeah. Was it good? It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Miss karaoke. Same. Mm-hmm. <sighs> no, On My Own is like the best. It's all about unrequited love. Can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> Who is she? Love. Can't relate. <laughs> mm, don't know that word. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many words I don't understand is uh, Elon Musk and Grimes child name. Have you seen it? Yes. X, Y, A, E, B, one, two, three, exclamation point. Yeah. Some kind of fucking serial number. Yeah. I don't understand it. I know there's definitely an X and that isn't there like that AE symbol or something. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Have you heard anybody pronounce it? No. I don't think anyone said it out loud and I'm like. Is this going to end up just like this child being called like, hey, uh, you, <laughs> that one. Elon's kid. <laughs> yeah. Musky. That's probably just going to like people are just probably going to go by like 
X or something. You know what I mean? Like the first, because there are some letters in it. So they're just going to choose the first letter and be like, that's your name now. Yeah. (laughs) That's what people do when they don't know how to pronounce a name, right? I mean, from my experience, they won't take any effort to ask. They will just butcher it however they please. Mm hmm. Yeah. As a teacher, I was always actually like kind of really like overly concerned with how to pronounce names. Mm-hmm. Part of it being is I, I taught in several schools just with a large population of names I couldn't pronounce because they uh-huh. weren't like, you know, names I was familiar with or had heard a ton or anything like that. So yeah. I made it like a super like on the first day, I'd be like, if I mispronounce your name and I probably will for many of you. Please tell me how to pronounce it because I want to call you by like whatever your your name actually is. Like that's your name. You have every right to tell me how to say it. I know I'm a teacher, but like it doesn't matter. You still have every right to tell me how to say your name. So please do. I think it's a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. A couple. I think there were maybe like one or two kids who like didn't. And then like I'd find out later and I'd be like, what? But please, I want I want to. (laughs) I'm trying to be. I'm trying. This is for you. Everybody deserves respect, even, mm-hmm. you know, small children or teenagers or, you know, whoever's teaching. So I was like, I want I want to know who you are. I don't want to know how I read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got really good at pronouncing some names. <laughs> good. My li- my life specialty, except for now when we tell stories on here and I probably butcher half of them. That's okay, because I'm so happy I watched a documentary about my topic today because I was pronouncing it wrong until I, like, oh. I think I just need to from now on whenever I get something, I need to, like, just Google someone saying it out loud so I can hear what it is. Yeah. So we don't have any more um, Samhain, Samhain mistakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, stuff happens. You corrected yeah. it when you found out. Yeah. You know, it's, you know how to pronounce it now. Yeah. It's not like you disrespected purposefully or anything like that. It just, it's spelled very differently, pronounced very differently because it is, the origins are very different than language origins that you're used to. Yeah. That's okay. It wasn't phonetic. Not at all. (laughs) No, not at all. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm very tired. You're good. Okay. I try not to go to bed with like heaviness. Yeah. Oh, totally. I get that 100%. Yeah, but I'm I don't watch ghost shows alone. Mm. I only watch them with my roommate. And so I was like, what am I going to watch? And um I watched yesterday I finished the Epstein thing, which was also another heavy thing, the Epstein special on Netflix. Yeah. Important to know about, but also very like very heavy to watch. So it was another yeah. thing that I had finished yesterday. Uh very well done. I would recommend, you know, it 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 touches on some uh, hard to hear things for sure, but if you want to know kind of the the breadth of like how how deep things went, it's a good yeah good thing. It's more about like what he did. Uh, they do talk about you know his end a little bit, but it's, yeah. it's more about what he did and his network. But I was done with that, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch that. Also, that wouldn't work. More heavy, yeah. Yeah. The thing I chose isn't not heavy, but it's more in the past, so it's a little bit easier to watch. I've been watching Mrs. America on Hulu. I've heard of it. I haven't watched a ton of it yet. It's good, and I'm actually surprised I haven't heard more people talking about it, just because, A, the cast is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. How they got, who they got, like, everybody is just fucking baller like it is such a good show um such a good cast and you know it's based on like actual people and events some of the characters are fictionalized versions of like multiple people kind of a thing Mm -hmm. uh and one of them is sarah paulson's character Mm -hmm. who i mean i know you also love sarah paulson i do i love me some sarah paulson and last night uh i had a couple episodes to catch up on so i watched the first one it's episode eight it's called houston and it follows Sarah Paulson's character, like, very specifically. Mm-hmm. It was so good. She was phenomenal. And, like, she's actually a character that, like, up until episode eight, I did not like her. She was, like, her, I mean, she was doing a good job, but, like, her character itself was, like. Beasley to unlike. 
not she wasn't a villain or anything like that. She was kind of like just not likable. Yeah, like she was like um the character itself was informed but kind of like somewhat acted like somewhat naive, I guess. I don't know. There were just there was just some qualities like a like a mousiness like eh, you know quality to the yeah. character and she was doing a good job cuz that was the character. But in episode eight, that that character kind of goes, you know, you follow that character specifically and like you see some changes and developments with it Mm -hmm. or with her. And she did a really good job. It was just a really good episode. I'm halfway through episode nine right now, too, but I did have to go to bed eventually. Uh, (laughs) But highly recommend Mrs. America if you've you've not started watching it. It's all about, you know, the um, the ERA and Mm -hmm. uh you know, the the pro ERA group and the anti ERA group uh, equal rights amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting to watch uh, people portray. Basically, all of these like women activists mm-hmm. and. um, Just it's fantastic. Kate Blanchett. I mean, uh, love Kate Blanchett. Um, what's her name? Rose something. I forget her last name. Ruby Rose. <laughs> the Brit- no, 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 no. The the she's a British actress, but she plays Americans a lot. Oh, Rose Byrne. Yes, Rose Byrne. She plays uh, uh, Gloria Steinem. Yeah, she plays Gloria Steinem. Uh, she's perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so well chosen, so well good. Also, like Tracy Allman, who I haven't seen in a minute, and mm. I really love Tracy Allman. Her show is the one that uh, The Simpsons like originated on the Tracy Allman show, and then like yeah. she had her own sketch show where she played every character. Mm-hmm on h i think it's on hbo or something when i was growing up my mom would watch it and i freaking love that show and tracy allen plays um i forget her name but she wrote the um uh the feminine mystique the author of that yeah yeah it's just fantastic please indulge yeah i'm gonna have to check this out as soon as i finish dead to me yeah i finished season one oh yeah really good yeah Mm -hmm. maybe i'll start season two once i get some of the staining done oh you haven't started season two no, no, I okay. like finished season one and I'm like, I need to digest that for a minute. And I was also mm-hmm. finishing Avatar Last Airbender because nostalgia, I guess. Nerd. <laughs> I know. Just kidding. Just kidding. I can't help it though. I love it. That is a okay. It's just such an interesting world. <laughs> but mm-hmm. what are you drinking? I saw it out of the corner of your hand. As I hit it on my tooth, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> well no i mostly heard it like saw it just going away oh so it's morning time when we're recording this which is rare usually we do an evening recording so i decided to go with um a screw screwball screw, what's a screw screwdriver screwdriver <laughs> it's like say screwdriver i know screwball i was thinking it's in a highball glass oh okay i don't know what i was thinking actually but <laughs> screwdriver so i've got some tangerine juice oh yum mm-hmm and then uh, just a little bit of some some Svedka peach, whatever nonsense in here. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it just seemed like the best. I didn't. I don't want to go anything too too crazy in the morning. I get you. I did a, mm-hmm. a vodka soda with like watermelon Lacroix. Oh, that stuff's good. It is. Yeah. I like the watermelon sparkling water. I think I like the bubbly version better, but maybe it's just because it's a cuter can. Actually, the uh, Waterloo watermelon. If you ever see the Waterloo watermelon, Waterloo. Yeah, but that one's really good. I just bought sparkling watermelon juice, but it does have. It's not uh, seltzer water. It does have like actual watermelon juice in it, but it's sparkling from Trader Joe's. That sounds delicious. Yeah, which I went shopping at Trader Joe's. Best grocery shopping experience of quarantine so far. Really? Yeah, you have to wait in line. They're actually doing that, but like the line moved relatively quickly they allow about and it's probably different per store but the one i was at was like 30 people Mm -hmm. you know they let you in everybody's super friendly uh they're like wiping stuff down i don't know it was just i didn't feel as like anxious about the whole situation as i have in like some of the bigger stores yeah yeah i like trader joe but i don't go very often just because the parking lot stresses me out yeah i won't shop at the one near you yeah, I don't either. So, with that said, <laughs> with that sidetrack. Yes, are you ready for the story? I am so ready for the story. I'm so glad that you are. 
I'll even pretend like I haven't heard it before. Yeah, so full transparency, we did record earlier this week, but somebody who should not be named uh, did not empty my recording card. And by somebody, I mean me, because it could be nobody else because I live alone. (laughs) So this is the second take, which means Mm -hmm. it's only going to be better for you guys because it means it's going to go smoother because I know Mm -hmm. how to I know how to talk now. Well, have you heard of the Grandy Ballroom? Heard of a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so it's in the Petoskey Estego neighborhood on Grand River at Joy Road. Mm hmm. And what it's most known as, what it's most known for is being a rock and roll mecca, and it's arguably the birthplace of punk and hard driving rock. Ooh. And it was the first place outside of San Francisco to hear psychedelic music. Love that. But it didn't start off as a rock mecca, obviously, because it is a ballroom. Mm-hmm. So we're going to jump back to 1929. In 1929, it was built. It was finished only six months before the stock market crash. It was designed by Detroit architect and engineer Charles N. Agree. And it was designed in the Moorish Deco style, which is like a combination of like art deco and like uh, Muslim architecture from like basically anywhere around the coast of the Mediterranean, so like northern Africa and southwestern Europe. Spain. Yeah, Spain, definitely Spain. I took a class on that in college, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of forget that, like, how much of a, like, Muslim background there is in Spain. And just, like... It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the first floor of the building was mostly retail, but the second floor was almost entirely ballroom, so, like, big open space designed for live music. The dance floor was had a capacity of about 1,500 dancers, and it was one of the largest in the city. Ooh. And another interesting feature about the dance floor is that it was on springs to give dancers the feeling of floating while they were dancing. That's so... That boggles my mind. Right? I, like, can only imagine what that would be like to just be, like, on a springy dance floor. Yeah. Is it like dancing on a trampoline? I feel like it's got to be a little bit more stable than that, but, like, I can't imagine by much. You also have to wonder, like, how, like, springy the springs are. Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm imagining, like, a bunch of people on, like, one of those, like, um, surfboards that you have to, like, balance on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, those stationary surfboards, or for some reason, that's what I'm imagining it like. Yeah. There's, like, a dance floor made out of surfboards. Yeah. That's all they were doing. Yeah. So, this ballroom served the west side of the city, and the east side... And the suburbs were served by the Grandy Sister Ballroom, the Vanity Ballroom, which was actually the last ballroom to open in the city because it opened on the eve of the stock market crash. Uh Uh-oh. So obviously a lot of things were put on hold after that. Yeah. The Grandy was originally used for jazz and big band sounds. And it was that real hip happening place for all the young people at the time. Ooh. They would go there and do dances like the Bunny Hug, the Turkey (gasps) Trot, and the Grizzly Bear. Oh, me, oh, my. Can we say that on air? Yeah, I think we can. <laughs> uh, we'll just make sure to flag this episode for risque dance names. <laughs> Explicit. Explicit. <laughs> so after World War II, though, big bands, ballroom dancing and jazz were all kind of like on their way out. And so the ballroom started to struggle. They tried having theme nights to get people out, which is like like stag night was one night and then interparish nights, which I'm like. Not quite sure what exactly they meant by that. Does that mean people of different religions are allowed to hang out? Is that... See, I don't know, because like part of me is wondering, like... Because parish, I think, like, I know in New Orleans, they, like, neighborhoods are called parishes down there. That is, like, a church word, though, too, right? It's, yeah, no, it's a, totally a church word. Okay, okay, okay. But, like, I was confused in New Orleans when, like, it was like, oh, this parish. I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, oh... Okay, it also means neighborhood. Something I wonder if maybe since Detroit's another French city, it means inner neighborhood. I don't know. It doesn't matter the place is closed, so inner city nights are, or inner parish nights are over. No more inter parish nights. Moving on. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do have a quote from an old patron, like from the an old patron from around those times named Fred Herr. I love an old patron. Ooh, yes. <laughs> the Grandy is a place where you pay to get in and you try to find the best looking girl you could and ask her to dance. Which like Oh, I would have been so bored. Right. Nobody would have asked me to dance. Oh, not true. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. 
What a night, though. What what a night. You wouldn't need to wait for someone to ask you to dance. You could dance without being asked because it is 2020. We can dance if we want to. We can leave our friends behind. <laughs> but it's 1929. Well, 1929, I don't know. There were real rules back then. You couldn't show your ankles or I don't know. You know, it was a flapper time, so you could show your ankles. You could show your ankles. Your shoulders were allowed. Actually, the 20s were kind of like a little raunchy, weren't they? Very scandalous in terms of dress length. I know that much. They were short. Mm -hmm. Well, and then like movies and stuff had started. So there were like all the silent film stars. And I know some of them got, I mean, not. Oh, yeah. That was like before the code. Like there was some weird like film code. And so like. Oh, yeah. You could show all kinds of nudie stuff. I forget what that was called. But yeah, yeah. I did a podcast actually. Interesting. And I was like a silent film star character. So I did some research on that and I talked about that code. But I forget what it was. It was like in 1930 something. Yeah. I like stumbled upon it in the Wikipedia hole I was in once. And I was like, that's interesting. It's very interesting. And then uh, movies like changed for a long time. And, but yeah, like you could do whatever. I want to say also, like, I think there was like a lot of porns. Oh, yeah. Like in the 20s. So people people were uh, people were wild and out. They were, I almost said wild and out. <laughs> That's so people weird. Were wild and so hard. I think it's just like that you did it, but you didn't necessarily like talk about it openly. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. You just couldn't send dick pics unless you owned a camera and a mail system. Mm-hmm. I always like thought about like what if apps existed back then of like Snapchat. You just mail someone a photo and a match on a on a tin type. No, I'm just kidding. They're not. <laughs> they had paper ones. They had paper. Yeah. So one of the reasons why like there was a decline in attendance, they thought was like jukeboxes, records, and television. So just like entertainment was changing mm-hmm. in general. Uh, in 1955, the Grandy was taken over by a Mr. and Mrs. John T. Hayes, which, like, uh, she has a name, too. Yeah. But they said they were doing their best to revive it. They were determined to keep ballroom dancing alive by catering Fridays and Saturdays to 17 to 30-year-olds. And many people came from church and social groups. Friday nights were get-acquainted nights, which, I guess, <laughs> get to know people. Yeah. And Saturdays were for existing couples, either married or dating. And uh, that one actually kind of works. They would see about 700 couples on Saturdays. Wow. Uh, Dress coat for men was a sport coat, shirt and tie. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Hayes wanted to make it a pleasant, wholesome activity. Unlike the troublesome rock and roll world that was forming around her. Oh, heavens be. Yes. Uh, So she acted as a chaperone and a hostess for the ballroom. She seemed a little 50s delusional when she said, quote, Teenagers now seem to be more interested in learning the more graceful steps that will possibly be an asset to them in the future. Um, like a box step's really going to help them out in the future. Never helped me. Actually, I, I don't know. know the box step at all, So, but it has not come up. It's a pretty easy. It's four steps in a box. I was going to say, is it just like front, right, back, left or something like that? Yeah. Okay. But some other dances they would they were allowed to do at the club at this time. The Foxtrot, the Tango, the Waltz, Bolero, the Charleston, and the Cha-Cha-Cha. Ooh, Cha-Cha-Cha. Like, I've, I've never heard it with three Chas before, you know? Like, I've heard the Cha-Cha, but Cha-Cha-Cha. I think it's different. They must be. Maybe. I don't know. I think that meant the Cha-Cha slide. <laughs> yes, it originated in 1931. No, I'm sorry, we're in the 50s. We're in the 50s. It originated in 1956. Exactly. Because, I mean, I think in the Cha-Cha Slide, it says, like, Cha-Cha Slide Part 2. Get ready for Part 2 or Part 3 or something. So maybe Part 1 happened in 56. And then we just got, like, a remake in the 90s. Yeah, you're on to something. Can't fool me, whatever Mm -hmm. your name. It's not Sir Mix-a-Lot. I forget who does the Cha-Cha Slide. I forget, yeah. No, Sir Mix-a-Lot is... All about the butts. Maybe up back, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1961, the ballroom, or the Grandy was the last ballroom standing that was still a ballroom. There was no liquor, and you couldn't even have the impression that you had been drinking, or you wouldn't be allowed let in. Oh, so it was uh, dry. Yeah. Wow. Which, like, can you imagine anything worse than a sober dance club where, like, your options are, like, the Charleston or the Cha-Cha-Cha? 
I feel like that probably actually worked though in the fifties. I don't think that would fly in, in today's society. I mean, not that like you have to, you know, imbibe or anything like that when you're out or whatever, but like not having the choice for many people, I think would be a like deterrent, which is weird to think about. Cause like nobody goes to like a club just to, I'm just here to listen to the music, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's also like weird to think about different times, yeah. Like, that that's changed, yeah. So Mrs. Hayes also told the Detroit News, "We do not emphasize the type of dancing or create the kind of atmosphere that appears to troublemakers." Oh, this is a good club for good people. Exactly. No riffraff <laughs> or rock and roll in this place. Mm-mm. So surprisingly, the Grandy didn't make it that much longer as a ballroom. Because I guess people were bored as shit doing the Charleston in 1961. Oh, so it it didn't work. Oh, it worked in the 50s. It didn't work in the 60s. Like the 60s hit and they're like, boom, no, we're not having this. Mm-hmm. So it was briefly a roller rink and then became a storage facility for mattresses. Oh. But this is when it would become reborn as the rock and roll mecca. Oh. The legendary Grandy Ballroom. Love this. So a man named Russ Gibb, who was a junior high teacher in Dearborn and also a local radio DJ. And so it's interesting. I did. There was a documentary made about the Grandy and it talked about him a bit. And I guess at the time they weren't doing school dances for the kids. So he would arrange dances for like the high school and stuff to I don't know, he thought it was important for kids to be able to hear music and shit, so he made these dances and was able to make enough money to um, buy a Thunderbird that he took. So he bought this Thunderbird, he drove to San Francisco to visit a friend, and he visited the legendary Fillmore Theater there where he saw the birds, birds with a Y. Mm -hmm. And he was like, this is great, we need something like this in Detroit, how am I going to make this happen? Oh, wow. Yeah. So he went back to the city and he got the help of the Fifth Estate, which was like one of the first like underground newspapers in the country that kind of just like covered everything that like the mainstream news was covering. So anything about like women, people of color or just like basically anything that's like worth reading about. So like, oh, the cotillion's having a bingo night. Like, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so he like worked with them, and that's where he met John Sinclair and Hugh G. Holland. Mm-hmm. And John Sinclair might sound familiar because he was also the manager of the band, the MC5. Oh. Yeah. And he was also one of the founders of the White Panther Party, which um, is like a far-left, anti-racist, anti-capitalist party that was kind of formed... Um, Kind of off of a comment from the leader of the Black Panthers, who, when asked in an interview, how can like white people help your fight or whatever, what white people do to help? And he said, form a white panther party. So he's like, all right. So they did. That's so interesting. I mean, uh, that's also very like relevant to today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't think the white panther party, I don't know if either one's around. I know the white panther party, I think, dissolved in the 80s or like be- like joined some other group. Mm-hmm. But also John Sinclair, that was funny. He was incarcerated for six months in the Detroit House of Corrections for marijuana possession. Oh, what a bad thing. Smoking them jazz <laughs> cigarettes. Oh gosh. Get him get him off the streets. How dare he? The nerve. <laughs> Reefer Madness. Yes. That's actually a movie. Have you seen it? I know, yeah. Uh, I've seen parts of it. I've never watched it in its entirety. It's always I've always had the intention and never done it. Right. My parents used to have it actually on VHS, which is love that. But I don't think I understood. Like you know, as a kid when yeah. I, I was like, "What's this? Oh, it's black and white. I'm not gonna watch it." Like you know, uh, which is a shame. There was like some movie I saw a clip for that was like. 40s or 50s anti-gay propaganda, where it's like, "Boys beware." Just like predatory gay men. Oh God, Reefer Madness had another movie made, like a like a modern. I want to say, um, oh gosh, what's her, what 
what's her face's name, isn't it? She's from Michigan. Madonna. She loves sloths. No, she loves sloths. My choir teacher taught her when she was in high school. Thelma Blair? No. Kristen Bell? Yes. Okay, there we go. We got it. Uh, I, I think Kristen Bell was in the, like, the... I don't know if it's a remake or if it's... I think it's, like, half a remake and, like, half kind of, like, making fun of, like, the original, like, movie. But it's, it's a like, a color version. Um, I don't think it's black and white. And, like... Yeah. My friend Susan did three marijuanas and died. Do you want that to be you? Yes, exactly. People are crazy. Wait, am I making this movie up? I swear this movie exists. Go on. I'm still going to look things up. Okay. Gib really wanted this to be a place for bands to perform their own material and develop their own identity. So like no cover bands, no bar bands, and it wasn't a teen club. Okay. And this movie did exist. Okay. Wait, what was it called? What was it called? It is called Reefer Madness. Okay. It's 2005. Wow, that's like later than I thought it was going to be. And it was the movie musical. It's a musical? Yeah, made for television musical comedy film. Oh my God, I might have to look this up later. Yeah, it's Kristen Bell, Christian Campbell, John um, Kazir, Kaiser? No, Kasser? I don't... And Alan... Uh, Karen D. Alan Cumming and Anna Guest... Anna Guestier, uh, isn't it? I love Alan Cumming. Yes. I have to watch this now. Yes. Oh, Nev Campbell. Yes. I have not heard her name in a while either. Yeah, this looks fun. Gonna have to watch that later. Yeah. But back to the Grandy. Yes. So the venue reopened on October 7th, 1966, and a crowd of about 60 people came out to see The Chosen Few and the MC5. Ooh. And it didn't take long for the rock and roll music and the counterculture vibes to draw in the suburb kids. So I have two quotes from John Sinclair about the Grandy. The first one is, The Grandy became, quote, The embassy for suburban youth, whose parents had speared them out of Detroit forever. They kind of thought that shopping malls were kind of lame, you know? They wanted to do something more interesting, so they started coming out into the city. Just as their parents feared, it rubbed off. Aww. This one's about the experience of going to the Grandy. If you went to the Grandy Ballroom, somehow somebody turned you on and took you to the Grandy Ballroom, you entered a different world. It was not like any of the world that they had presented to you before, and there was no interpretive code. You were just thrust into the middle of it. And if you were lucky, Neil would come with a new batch of acid at 10 o'clock on a Friday night and pass it out to the regulars. If you were lucky, you might get one. And by the time you went home, if you went home, you would be a whole different place mentally. Just completely different. So in that way, it was like a gateway into a new world and a much more interesting, exciting world, which had music at the core of it and art and images, you know, it was different. It was nothing like Ford Motors, quite frankly. I have an idea why you felt different when you went home. Yeah. After taking that tab of acid. Right. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if it was just the Grandy transporting you. Right, right. I love, though, that it became like the antithesis of like, um, what, what's her face? wanted for that space like oh yeah like oh you didn't want this we're gonna do it but more <laughs> right like oh you don't want that rock and roll mm-hmm. well we're gonna turn it into a rock and roll legend mm-hmm. i see your anti-rock and roll and i raise you tabs of acid yes i see your marijuana <laughs> your jazz cigarettes yes i had to use that one <laughs> So yes. MC5 would play at the Grandy like every week at least once. And some other oh, wow. local acts that would play there were the Stooges, SRC, the Frost, and the Rationals. Okay, wow. And in 1967, they were able to bring in touring groups. The first was a band called Vanilla Fudge. And among some of the other bands and artists that played there were Led Zeppelin, John Lee Hooker, the Yardbirds, Cream, Pink Floyd, Canned Heat, the Jeff Beck Group, the Birds, Big Brother and the Holding Company, Chuck Berry, Howlin' Wolf, Velvet Underground, The Steve Miller Band, Country Joe and the Fish, Blue Cheer, Tim Buckley, Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, and B.B. King. Just to name a few. Holy shit. Yeah. So this place, like, so the Grandy just started getting a good reputation for me, a good venue, like, which only helped get more acts in the door. Mm-hmm. And just a quote on that from Gibb. Some of the English bands, they'd get on a bus back in those days, start in New York, go to Cleveland, Chicago, St. Louis. So we were a logical stop from Cleveland or Buffalo. 
It really started as a matter of convenience for the English bands. Once they played the Grandy and saw the sound was great, they spread the word. And once the word got out in England that there was a great place where the people were cool and the sound was cool and the city was cool, the Grandy became a legend. Wow. And like just to give you an idea of like how like just cool this place was, for one night, you could see for $5 Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd, and The Who. All the same night, all in this menu. Like, can you imagine like that kind of lineup today for five dollars? That's nuts. Yeah. Wow. No. And I mean five dollars obviously is different now than it was then, but like right. I'm still Hell. pretty I mean like it'd be like twenty dollars now, probably, or right. maybe twenty-five. Like nothing exorbitant. Right. And those are like some big names. Like they may not have been like the biggest names when they were starting off, but like Considering what they grew into, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So another story on March 3rd in 1968, the Grandy would see the band known then as the Psychedelic Stooges take the stage. They were fronted by a man named Jim Osterberg, although around the Grandy, he was known by Iggy. Oh, yeah. So Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. And during the show, he rolled around a broken glass, ended up cutting himself and smeared peanut butter on his chest. So this is kind of like I think this is one of the first times Iggy stage was or Iggy stage Iggy Pop was on stage. So this kind of like helped cement its place in rock and roll history. Mm-hmm. Iggy Pop he even did an interview in '97 with the Free Press where he said that the Grandy was quote rock and roll school for me a big sweat box with one little window. You'd come out of there feeling like you'd really d- been through something. And so, like, the sweat box comment came from the fact the venue could reach 100 degrees during a show, which... Yeah, it's gross damn. sometimes. I, so I used to go to, like, some punk shows in high school. I would leave, like, just drenched in my sweat, other people's sweat, and, like, it oh, would weigh yeah. me down, and it would be, like, like, you could wring my shirt out. Like, it was disgusting. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, like, even grosser, like, I remember in high school... Like, I never went to any of the homecomings, but, like, it was a known fact that, like, they were always in the cafeteria of whatever school, like, was hosting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was mostly in Plymouth, but, like, I think it happened in a lot of the high schools. But it would literally get just so packed and sweaty and gross from all the stupid kids dancing in there that the sweat would condensate on the ceiling and drip back down. Like, uh, isn't that disgusting? No, no thank you. Yeah. No. Just like a bunch of stupid kids in formal wear. Please, no. Ew, teenagers are like especially gross, too. No offense to any teenagers. You're gross, but you'll grow out of it. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to say all adults aren't gross, but. There's a good chance. Learn from your (laughs) high school years. (laughs) So six days after the Stooges, uh, the Who would take the stage and... They were exhausted from playing big shows around the country in cities like New York and L.A. and San Francisco. But so then they came to the Grandy. And again, this documentary, which I will. I I know I talked about last time I recorded, but like it's great. It's like 52 minutes. It's on YouTube. I'll post the link all around. But just like kind of a bunch of old like hippies talking about this like legendary rock and roll venue. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I want to yeah. watch that. Yeah, no, it's great. And like one of the Who members was talking on it. And so was their manager, Tom Wright, who actually ended up working at the Grand Deal afterwards. Oh. So they were like, they got to the venue. And they're like, what is this chicken shit gig we got booked on? Just because the exterior was like a single bulb dangling from a marquee kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But once they got on stage and just like felt the energy from the audience and just like, because the, like the, Audience were legendary here. Just kind of, I need to stop saying legendary. Uh, like the audiences were crazy. Just like they were just so on board for the music. They didn't care what genre it was as long as it was good. And like this MC5 song, Kick Out the Jams, kind of comes from they used to like say that at the they used to say that the Grandy kind of just being like, Kick Out the Jams or get the fuck off the stage. Mm-hmm. Detroit's always been like a music city. Like, I mean, a lot of cities have music that generates out of them. Not to say it's always in cities, but like, you know, that it's a common thing mm-hmm. in bigger area or bigger city areas. But Detroit, I don't know, like, I feel like it always has had a music crowd and it's always oh, been yeah. kind of driven by music, which is 
insane to me when like uh, bands are touring and then they overlook Detroit because it's right. out of the way. It's a little it's not even that out of the way, but it's a little out of I, the way. So like they're like, Meh, we won't go there. And it's like kind of missed a big opportunity there. Um, right. All right. Right. Because like even like so Tom Wright, the manager of the Who at the time, said that he'd never seen the Who try harder and that, quote, the Who left Detroit convinced that they would be successful. Aww. And kind of like the English bands, especially, but like just kind of Detroit had this reputation where if you could make it in Detroit, you could make it anywhere kind of thing. Because like they had these great audiences that were like really receptive to good music. So if you could make it like, again, you can make it in Detroit, you can make it anywhere. Wow. Which I think is just like a cool um, reputation for the city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a quote, too, about the audiences from Dennis Thompson. Again, I can't remember who he is. Didn't write down who he was, just his name. But... It's okay. <laughs> Good old Dennis. Gotta love him. Sorry. It's okay. He described the audience as, quote, They were just fanatics, and they loved music, and they loved the hard-driving music, and they showed up. Tickets were five bucks. Come on, you could see four bands for five dollars. And once you filled that places, maybe... Like 2,500 to 3,000 people, it would rock. On October 30th, 1968, MC5 would record their first LP live at the Grandy, which is unheard of for a debut album, but it ended up being one of the best live albums of all time because, again, like the sound in the Grandy was also like talked about a lot because it was like this big ballroom designed for live music. So just music sounded really good in there. Right, acoustics. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, like the Grandy had like a short run, like its last show would happen on New Year's Eve, 1972. Oh, yeah. And so Gabe was still booking shows, but he ended up starting to do it for larger venues in Detroit and around the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like uh, 15, 1500, right? That's that was capacity. That's how many dancers, but I think it could hold more for like a show. Oh, Still, that wouldn't be that large, I would right, think. Right, right. So, yeah. And just, like, the music industry was changing, too, around this time. Like, they talked about this in the documentary, too, where, like, in, like, the 60s, it was kind of, like, the musicians were the ones driving things. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s is when, like, the record industry, you know, today kind of took off. Oh, okay. And it was more, like, the lawyers and the accountants driving the music. Like, more business. Yeah, more of a business. Okay. That's when they kind of like stadium shows and kind of larger, like now they use sports arenas and stuff for shows. Mm-hmm. That's kind of when this started. And like one of the reasons why Gibb was frustrated with like trying to book with record labels is he, they kind of like stopped him from being able to put up local show, like local acts at the Grandy because if you wanted to use a big band, the record label of that band would be like, okay, but you have to let our other bands open for that band. Oh, okay. And so just in the end, it was easier to do bigger shows elsewhere. Mm -hmm. The building was closed after that, like New Year's Eve show or like shortly after. And it just started getting neglected. And so vandals and scrappers looted and destroyed what nature hadn't already taken. And so the building just fell to disrepair. And that's pretty much it. In 2018, the ballroom was added to the National Register of Historic Places, which I we say that a lot in the show and I'd like it's a good thing because it means it won't get demolished, I think. But I wish it also guaranteed that like the building would be restored or like something would happen with it. So it's not just like mm-hmm. this dilapidated building with a plaque on it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think pretty much. Yeah, I just guarantee it's not going to be demolished. I think it also like puts restrictions on any kind of modifications made to it. Like it has to oh, like yeah. be restorative. Yep. Yeah. Rather than like, yeah, you're not going to go in and like you can put a new toilet in but you can't like turn it into a knock down major wall yeah you can't take major features away from it and yeah all that kind of stuff i think i think i don't know we're not a national registration of historic places podcast no definitely not uh but i mean so it is a good thing to be added to it it doesn't have like a lot of clout but like it you know i think it can be a helpful thing for people who are into historic buildings for sure it's definitely a helpful thing i just wish it was more helpful does it say anything about like who or what company owns it now? Like wh- where it kind of like landed? It doesn't really. It just kind of okay. Like left it as like it's kind of dilapidated right now, and 
that it was added to the register in 2018. But there is a documentary. Yeah. Did you see any photos of it now or anything like that? Um, there was a lot of shots in the documentary of like then and now. Okay. Um, there wasn't a ton of like early photos from back in its heyday. Mm-hmm. But there was a few. I'll post them on the Instagram when we post cool. the episode. Yeah. I was just say like the documentary, it's called Louder Than Love, The Grandy Ballroom Story. It was made in 2012. Uh, I was able to find it on the director's YouTube channel. Again, I said it was 52 minutes. It was just like a fun documentary. Just like a nice, light documentary with interesting stuff. Especially if you like classic rock or rock. I'm not the, the biggest fan and I still found it really interesting. So if you're into rock and classic rock and all that, you'll probably really love it. Because you'll know half the people in it. I knew Slash. I recognized him. <laughs> Wait, is that the only person you recognized? I mean... I think. Are you, are you talking about like the people interviewed? You interviewed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Not the people they talked about necessarily. No, no, no. I mean, I, I probably like, didn't know too many more, but like classic rock's kind of a blind spot for me. That's fair. I mean, it's not my like expertise and, you know, genre I listen to a lot or anything like that. A little bit here and there, but not, yeah. I listened to the Rolling Stones a lot in high school. <gasps> I love the Rolling Stones. I, I do too. <laughs> I like them. We just would listen to them every Saturday at swim practice. So, like, Aww. I know all the songs by now, but, like, I don't mm-hmm. listen to them ever. But if, like, Paint It Black or, like, Ruby Tuesday comes on, I know I know all the mm-hmm. words. It was like, they're just, we'd always listen to, like, the 40 Lick CDs. I love that. Yeah. I have, what do I have? I have one Rolling Stones album, but I forget the name of it right now. But it's, it, it Paint It Black is on it. Okay. But, yeah, it's, I love it. Um, that was for, good though oh are you doing do you guys sources before i forget sources? yeah source so like i said that documentary then also atlas obscura wikipedia and historic detroit.org like good job thank you i like it was a very interesting topic i like it kind of ended up being one of those ones where i was like oh what can i talk about google 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 i don't even know how i stumbled across this but then once i started reading about it i'm like this has to be my episode Mm-hmm. Just because, like, it's a different facet of music history for Detroit. Because everyone knows Motown, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Motown's great. I love Motown. But it's interesting hearing about other musics that kind of really excelled in the city. Yeah. Yeah. So Good just job, a though. little a little piece of that. I'm also yeah. still mad because Detroit should have got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in my opinion. I don't even know how that was determined. I think there, it kind of... Like, I was reading about it once, and it reminds me of, like, the Olympics, where, like, cities kind of put bids out for it. Like, we want to have it here, and somehow Cleveland won it. Oh. So. Oh, yeah. Detroit would have been a way better. Yeah. I mean, it is a beautiful building in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's right by the water. Yeah. I say it's on the water and stuff and the whatnot, but, oh, that would have been great here. Anyway. Right. <laughs> we'll have something uh, else here. Yes, we've got plenty of stuff. We don't need you. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You and your rock and roll. Your damn rock and roll music. Are you ready for Two Truths and a Lie? I sure am. Good, because I've got some. Uh, and I didn't even do them while you were talking. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So this isn't for... F- so this episode comes out. It's June now, technically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not today when we're recording, but it will be June when this episode June 2nd, comes out. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, Yes, which is crazy uh, that it's June already. But there's a lot of things that happen in June. And one of them is the summer solstice. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, the summer solstice, uh, I what day is it this year? I think it's June 22nd. That sounds right. I wrote it down, but I wrote it's it's always between the, the 20th and 22nd. It's not accurate every year because of the way that Earth's rotation is not 100% accurately aligned with our calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's June 20th at 544 Eastern Standard Time this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here are your three factoids. Okay. Factoid number one. In ancient Egypt, the solstice brought in the new year. With the flooding of the Nile. Okay. Fact number two. Summer solstice is the longest day of the year due to it being the closest to the earth. The sun being the closest to the earth. Mm-hmm. Fact number three. 
It is unknown if Stonehenge was built to celebrate solstice, but thousands gather there annually every solstice. Hmm. I'm going to say that two is the lie, because I don't think it has anything to do with the distance from the Earth and the sun. It is a lie, but it does. Uh, the Earth is really? actually the farthest from the sun during the solstice. Okay. Yeah. That tracks. Because I know it's closer in the winter. It's just less direct from us. Yeah. Well, and it's farther. So we see it. It does make, I think we see it longer because it takes longer for our rotation. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But it, but oh, man, I thought I could trick you because I thought it would sound like it was closest because the longest day of the year, so more sun. I know some space. You're too smart. <laughs> I hate space, but I know some of it. I did learn a couple of fun things about it. And this was from an article on mental floss, which they have a lot of good, like little listicle article articles, which are fun. Oh, 100%. So the name comes from the fact that the sun appears to stand still. So it's Latin for soul and sister. Or, or, I'm sorry. It's Latin for soul and sister. <laughs> Hey, sister, so sister, better get the cow, sister. <laughs> Basically, that mama about it all, but Sorry. That's okay. But yeah, that means to stand still. So it's sun standstill. In 2006, so midsummer actually occurs near the solstice, generally speaking, which is like the Scandinavian. It's not just a horror movie, uh, although great movie, but also terrifying movie. And in 2016, during Midsummer Celebration in um, Norway, beat a world record for the tallest bonfire. It was 1,555.5 feet tall. Oh, my God. Do they just burn a whole factory? Just like, do they just set fire to an Ikea? Or a village? Possibly. I guess. Uh, excuse me. Ikea, Sweden. This was Norway. I know, but like, we have Ikeas here. I know. I'm there's a lot of wood there. I'm just kidding. I'm no, they, they burned a gefilte fish factory. <laughs> so while the solstice is the longest day of the year, the hottest day doesn't occur until a month later due to the water. So basically, like our temperatures are all reliant on our oceans and it takes water longer to cool up and heat down, heat up and cool down. It's due to the covalent bonds between the water molecules. Well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, it takes about six weeks for the oceans to catch up to our air temperature or to a, the the sun. That makes sense. Yeah. Pagans celebrate with symbols of fire and water. Midsummer is celebrated with a festival called Litha or Letha. I'm not sure how you say it. In Letha. Ancient <laughs> That's your roommate's name. <laughs> yeah. Letha. Uh, in ancient Europe, the festival involved rolling giant wheels lit on fire into bodies of water to symbolize the balance between fire and water. So that's fun. Love that. I mean, I was going to yeah. say that sounds stupid. But I remember like the cheese wheel festival in England where they just roll wheels of cheese down the hill with mm -hmm. a stick. I was going to say with the stick. Yeah. I don't uh, get Europe sometimes. I feel like I saw an episode of like Amazing Race or something. Or maybe it was like a spoof of Amazing Race where they had to do the cheese wheel with a stick or something. Okay. It's fun. Oh, and in ancient Egypt, though, in conjunction with the appearance of the Sirius star, they made it the new year because the, the Nile would actually like flood annually. You know, obviously that changed their crops. You know, they had yeah. to kind of plan on that. So they had a very different calendar than our current calendar. Yeah. So there's a lot more to summer solstice, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the summer solstice. Coming to you live. Ju June 20th. June 20th. That's, June yep. 20th. <laughs> June 20th. Also, I think. Can't you like balance an egg or something and like brooms can stand up or something weird? Or, you can make brooms stand up any day of the year. You just spread the bristles out. Okay. There's something with an egg. I think you can make an egg stand up during the solstice. I can make an egg any day of the year. Well, you can make an egg, but can you make an egg stand up? Depends on how impressed it is. <laughs> Standing ovation uh, from an egg. Yeah. I did a kick into a slits and then I showed him what is missing. Then did I have your attention? That's why I do the eggs. <laughs> A kick into interesting. a split. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I think that about wraps us. Yeah. So if you want to follow us on the social medias, it's at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, or the Detroit Strange on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Please rate, subscribe, review. That's uh fun. Yeah. Do that where you can. Yeah. Our email address, we have an email of Detroit Strange at gmail.com if you want to send us anything. 
if you've been to the Grandy, have any pictures or like stories, let a hoe know. Um, mm-hmm. Or just let us know how you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever you want. Just email us. And then um, don't forget about our store, DetroitStrange.Threadless.com. We've got some really cool merch in there right now. And it's a great way to support the show and get some cool stuff out of it. Yeah. So until next time. Stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Podcast. Our theme song was created by Sex and Violence.